0: Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Deputy Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we'll be talking about Shazam! Uh, The new DC movie came out this past weekend. Uh, It did very well with critics and audiences alike, so we're going to dig into that, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what exactly is the future of DC movies, because it's really all over the place. It's not like... When you talk about like the future of Marvel movies, even though we technically don't know what those movies are, like it's not it hasn't been formally announced. We're like, oh yeah, a Black Widow movie, and you know what that Black Widow movie is. Like you don't know the details, but you're like, I have a good idea, <laughs> and you're okay, and everyone just moves on with their lives. Like the details are kind of unclear, but you understand the Marvel mold. Whereas DC is a lot more uh, unclear. So we'll get dig into all that, but first let's lead off with Shazam, um, which I. Thought was fun. I had a good time with it.
1: Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not allowed to say that. Marvel's <laughs> paying us good money to say that it's bad.
0: Oh, I'll lose my Marvel bucks. <laughs> All Marvel bucks have pictures of Robert Downey Jr. on it, just smiling, giving two thumbs up. <laughs> two, two thumbs up, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, can't say anything about DC movies. Uh, No, it's it's fun. It's a fun film for what it is, which is basically the premise of Big, but it's superheroes. And it has a nice little message about family and I, you know, it's light. It's, it's nice. It's, it's not going to change anyone's world, but it's a solid, uh,
1: movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I had a good time with it. It's, it's weird. it's a little it's a little weird like seeing that this is the same studio that made uh, Batman be Superman. Um, but
0: well that, not only that, but that there's a moment that specifically calls out Batman be Superman yeah. Shazam. <laughs> <It does. laughs> it does. Uh,
1: I was pleasantly surprised by the uh, kind of emotional heart of it. I really liked that it was the story of uh, found family um, and what family really means. Um, I thought those emotional beats were hit really well um, by director David F. Sandberg, who I've not seen any of his films. He made Lights Out and Annabelle Creation. I've seen neither of those. Um, But uh, I thought he had a pretty good handle on material, and I liked a lot of the direction. Um, uh, I mean, I was... I I preferred the the scenes of, like, the kids hanging out together. I felt like the film kind of harkened a little bit back to um, kind of like 80s adventure movies, like Goonies. Um, and I really liked when it was doing that. I was a little less enthused with Zachary Levi's stuff um, uh, and the kind of the big, showy, um, superhero-y stuff. There were some good jokes in there, but I felt like my main issue was that it was too long. I just felt the movie was... It felt very long to me. Yeah,
0: I would say the movie is too long. My big issue is I feel that the Dr. Savannah stuff is a little too dark. And I've heard arguments back and forth. You know, it's like, hey, you know, kids movies were dark when we were growing up. You know, you got to let kids have some darkness. But I think there's different kinds of darkness in kids films. Like a film like The Witches is like it's dark and it's kind of like unsettling. But it's it's not grotesque. It's not violent. And a lot of the stuff that's dark in Shazam is violent. And I think that that kind of darkness feels a little out of place in such a lighthearted film. Like it's one thing to be like Return to Oz where it's like, whoa, that is really nightmare fuel. But there's nothing violent like in Return to Oz. Even the character who like switches heads, you don't see her like chop anyone's head off. She just has a bunch of different heads and it's really unsettling, but it's not violent. Whereas in Shazam, the film opens with a horror, like there's a horrible car accident and poor fricking John Glover gets, you know, get, you know, he gets crippled. And, uh, and then you have later in the film, there's the seven sins busting up a boardroom meeting and a really like it, that scene felt like David F. Sandberg being like, Hey guys, I've done horror films. I'm like, I know, but this shouldn't be one of them. And like,
1: yeah, I felt it was a bit much i was very struck by that as well um mostly because my screening had a lot of young kids at it and so i was kind of like i was mentally thinking like wow like what did i see when i was a kid and how upset was i but i think the, i think the issue with them is so like goonies is kind of dark and you know the scene where junk is uh being interrogated and they're like gonna kill him uh and then he's like in the freezer with a dead guy uh but i think the Tonally, where Shazam goes a little bit off is that it's shot like a horror movie. So, like David S. Sandberg is using his tools as a filmmaker to really scare you in those scenes. Exactly. So, the shot composition, the uh, way that the camera moves, the music. Uh, all evokes like those scary feelings. Whereas in Goonies it's like Richard Donner knows well enough to like, it's scary that a kid is in uh, a freezer with a dead or a closet with a dead body. Uh, You don't need to do anything extra to that because this movie is for kids to watch. Um, So it's scary enough as a kid, just watching that, like that really creeped me out as a kid. Yeah. it,
0: It feels like the scenes with Savannah, like are like, he's using his horror tools to make the villain more threatening, but the villain, like there's nothing on the page that, Honestly, that doesn't make Savannah more of an interesting character. If anything, it makes him less interesting. And it, he would have been more compelling if he felt somewhat conflicted about what he was doing and felt a little reluctant instead of just being like, yeah, I'm evil. I'm an evil guy. Here are the seven deadly sins. They're my buddies. Like, it's it makes – especially when you have an actor of Mark Strong's caliber. You, yeah. know, you He can give you range. Like, he's not like a one-dimensional guy. Um, why aren't you taking advantage of that? And I feel like, well, Savannah, like, Ooh, isn't he scary? I'm like, I guess, but he's scary because you're making this tonally horrific rather than the character behaving in a way that is genuinely unnerving.
1: Yeah. I will say I kind of understand it in that it's a progression in the DC universe of films. Like if you just take the progression of, uh, man of steel, Batman to be Superman, uh, wonder woman, I'm already forgetting what movies. Suicide Squad.
0: Aquaman and Suicide Squad. Yeah,
1: Suicide Squad, Aquaman. I can see how if Shazam went like full big and like very goofy and no scary stuff, it would feel a little more shocking just in keeping with that universe thing. But I also think the film is very clearly meant to stand alone. Yeah, to... I mean,
0: if, if you're going to make the departure, make the departure. You don't like and leave like there's a reason you're leaving that darkness behind in the first place. It didn't work for you. Yeah. Audiences rejected it
1: you didn't like uh poop face mcdoomsday or whatever his name was <laughs> and batman v superman <laughs> gotta have doomsday the pivotal <laughs> character of the 90s who's <laughs> in the movie for like 15 minutes yep <laughs> Just um but yeah i think broadly shazam works i think it works really well yeah, i that, think
0: it has a very clear idea of what it wants to be
1: yeah and did that familial core it reminded me of the so the Fast and Furious movies, of which I am not a fan. Uh, generally, I really like Fast Five, but uh, the whole notion of like family and it's about family is so just. Stupid, because it doesn't ever really commit to it. It's just a very simplistic, uh, like surface level notion of like, oh, friends are family. Um, whereas in Shazam, I feel like it it understands what it means to be part of a family unit, what it means to be lonely, what it means means to feel like you don't belong, and what it means to have a found family. Um, there's a very like it's it's taking the moments and the time to really dig into that and to understand that. And that's I thought uh, to me that's where the film really shined. Um, but you know, I enjoyed a lot of the superhero stuff. Uh, I thought the stuff. I think Jack Dylan Grazer is fantastic. He's clearly a, a breakout uh, performer. Um, but it just kept coming. Like I feel like you could easily trim twenty to thirty minutes off this movie if you cut down more of uh, the kind of silly, slapsticky stuff with Zachary Levi and and just kind of like trying to be superhero and stuff. Yeah, but. no, it's
0: a film that could. I mean, for a film that's as that's as light as this one. Uh, for the most part, the film should should be shorter. It just – it. I mean that third act battle just it – it's it's fun but it drags on.
1: It I, keeps going. It keeps, go, it keeps like, going different places. It's kind of like David S. Amberg was like, oh, I have a budget? OK. Well, I guess we'll go here and do a set piece here and then we'll do a set piece here and then we'll do more set piece stuff here and then, ooh, an extra surprise set piece. I was just like it, I mean it, like the surprise stuff is really fun. I really enjoyed that aspect. I'm not going to spoil it cuz um maybe people, people haven't seen it yet. But um I don't know. I just felt like it, it kept going on. I kind of wanted it to if if this movie had come out around in a tight like 90 95 minutes, uh I think I would have left the theater feeling um more enthusiasm for it. I liked it, but like if this, if the same movie had come in at around a, a really tight like ninety five minutes, uh, I think that would have gone a long way. Well, yeah, the thing is, the,
0: the the deal with the length is that it makes me kind of reluctant to ever revisit it. Like, uh-huh. as I as I I watched it, I had fun with it, but it's like, do you want another two hours of that? I'm like, no, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I get uh, it. Bye. I get it. Yeah, I'm good. But uh, at least it's one where I felt like what I had heard before. Like, I felt that the buzz was in tune with what the movie was yes um like whereas with aquaman it's like it's so crazy i'm like no it isn't <laughs> it's not a cra- oh the the octopus plays the drums yeah that happens in the little mermaid too <laughs> he's riding a he's riding a shark okay <laughs> it's a standard hero's hero's journey story let's not get let's not lose our minds
1: yeah, she, I, Aquaman to me was kind of all over the place. As people who listen to that podcast uh, know, and got very angry with me. At, uh, <laughs> but I'm off the Marvel payroll now, so uh, uh, I'm allowed to say I like Shazam. But um, I don't know. I just think I think Shazam works more holistically. As I said, I think that emotional core it really nails that part. That part. Yeah. Whereas in Aquaman, I just felt like it was go. It was trying to do a billion different things. Yeah,
0: Aquaman doesn't have the. A- quite honestly like for as as crazy as it is it doesn't have the confidence to know what it wants to be yeah it's yeah. just kind of scattershot whereas Shazam is very focused and i and i appreciated that about it
1: yeah it's very clear that david sandberg has a strong point of view and that's i think more and more is becoming um one of the most important things to me in a filmmaker um as most movies that get made are blockbusters and franchise pieces and reboots and remakes. If the director doesn't have a strong point of view or a strong take on the material, it can feel just kind of flat and, uh, you know, authorless. So uh, it's all the better when someone comes in and says, this is exactly how I want to make this movie. And this is why. Right.
0: You know, and credit to, to Warner brothers for switching, for shifting gears and for being like, you know, let's, let's just try something really lighthearted you know let's it's very simple and direct and he's not you know not everyone knows the the character of Shazam but we can that's not going to be a hurdle for us we're not going to just say only brand name characters if we don't have the story for it yet
1: it's kind of crazy that they just offered this to sandberg after he made annabelle creation like i don't necessarily know what they i mean i haven't seen those movies uh, i've seen
0: lights out um which is Honestly, a really good film up until the end and I hate the ending, but I won't spoil what it is, but it's a really good movie if you look at it as like it's a if you look at it at at Lights Out as a movie about depression, it's actually a really clever horror film. Um and a solid PG-13 horror film. Mm, so interesting. I'll say that about it. Yeah. But again, he's not exactly like with with his resume, you wouldn't immediately think direct this lighthearted movie about a kid who gets superpowers.
1: Yeah. Whereas with someone like James Gunn, you could be like, with Guardians of the Galaxy, you're like, oh, I could see it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the, all – like, Warner Brothers has this weird thing, and I don't I don't know if that's going to be different now, now that Kevin Tsujihara is gone. But Warner Brothers had this very weird thing where they're like, we are just very loyal to filmmakers. Like, we – if you're a filmmaker and we like you, we're going to give you crack at these projects and – You know, who knows if you're right for it, but sure, give it a go, (laughs) which is how you get like, you know, I mean, like Guy Ritchie, how many films has he directed for Warner Brothers?
1: They are a very filmmaker driven studio, as they like to tout. Uh, They've been the home of Clint Eastwood for decades now. Uh, But that loyalty can sometimes just go a little far. Well, I mean, that loyalty was
0: on like Zack Snyder was always a Warner Brothers guy.
1: Yeah. Like 300,
0: um, Watchmen, like it was all Warner Brothers. Uh, and they entrusted him with their DC movies and look where that got him. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's uh, probably the most famous case of it not working out. Right. Um, but yeah, they they are really just like sticking with them. Yeah, I don't know if Guy Ritchie's new film is a Warner Brothers movie or not. The one that's supposed to be like smaller scale. Oh, The, uh, and then the,
0: gen- the Gentleman?
1: Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It is yeah.
0: not. It's not a Warner Brothers movie.
1: Okay, and then obviously Aladdin is Disney, so maybe King Arthur was finally the the final nail in the coffin, even though you and I both like, it. Even him. though
0: we both know that King Arthur is, <laughs> is good, actually.
1: <laughs> it kind of kicks ass, and you should watch
0: it. Yeah, give King Arthur a shot.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I just really loved the kind of effervescent joy throughout this movie. Um, again, I really love the kid stuff. Like, usually... In a lot of these movies, the kids are uh, kind of superfluous or just kind of stand-ins, but I felt that this movie did a really great job of uh, differentiating each one of the Foster family and showing why they were important to the story and why they were important to Billy. Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect of the film.
0: Yeah, I felt that they were the heart of the movie, and, yeah. it,
1: and it didn't lose sight of them. No. And so, then and obviously that friendship with Freddie. Right. So.
0: Yeah, it's a film that the the pieces work. You know, it, it could stand to be a little shorter, but it is a film that I I I genuinely enjoyed, and I would say ups DC's batting average. Yeah, because uh, most of their films I do not enjoy. Yeah, or they are, or, uh, or they are deeply flawed.
1: <laughs> they are they're fine. Um, they uh, they have some issues, but. Uh, yeah, this is this was definitely one of the better ones, uh, especially in, in recent memory.
0: So do you want to talk a little bit about what's coming up for DC?
1: Then? <laughs> do you have any idea what's coming up for
0: DC? I know what's coming up with DC for I know their next two movies, their next three yeah. movies. I know their next three movies. That's all yes. I know. So let's let's start with Joker. Which <laughs> well, we, before oh. before
1: we get to that, let's briefly talk about how we got here. How <laughs> did, How is... did we get here? Uh, well, and, and Shazam is one of the one of the last of those kind of original movies. So, obviously, Zack Snyder made Man of Steel, um, and then after that was entrusted as kind of the Kevin Feige of the DC universe. That kicked off with Batman v Superman, which. I guess Zack Snyder just takes a long time to do post on his movies because it was in post for a long time. And then by the time it came out, they were weeks away from shooting Justice League, which, uh, as Zack Snyder recently revealed, had already been greenlit with a very different script. And then when Batman v Superman came out and the reviews were really bad and audiences were like, whoa, this is too dark. This is too much. Don't like this. Um, The majority of audiences. Uh, um, And then... (laughs) Then they had to essentially rework Justice League on the fly just before they started shooting. Obviously, Zack Snyder then left Justice League in post-production. Joss Whedon came in, rewrote the script, reshoots. Long story short, Zack Snyder was overseeing this whole DC universe. He had his hand in Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Aquaman consulted on Suicide Squad, but uh, then he was out. And then Warren Brothers was like, well, we don't have anyone who's steering this ship right now. Um, but I believe Shazam was one of those earlier movies that was discussed or that was in development. No, yeah.
0: I think what the was deal it was, it was, it was Black Adam. They were putting their chips on that's Black it. Adam starring that's... Dwayne Johnson. And everyone's like, that's kind of weird because Black Adam is, is Shazam's nemesis. So why are, you, why are you leading with a nemesis rather than the hero? And when you think of Zack Snyder, like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Of course he would lead with the nemesis rather than the hero, but also like Dwayne Johnson is a, is a, is a movie star and he wants to do this character. Let's lead with black Adam. And then I think they, when, when Snyder left, they kind of realized, like, first off, Dwayne Johnson is super busy. So it's hard to nail down his schedule. But secondly, Mm -hmm. there's a pitch now for Shazam that we like that will not cost us a fortune. (laughs) that we can like Shazam is like a mid budget is mid budget for a superhero film.
1: Yeah. Which I really enjoyed about it.
0: And I think that's great. And I think for Warner brothers, I mean, they even put this under the new line banner. They didn't put it under their own banner.
1: Oh, that's right. That's um, right.
0: Because of its cost with Walter
1: Hamada, who is now in charge of the DC universe.
0: Exactly. So I think they kind of recalibrated. And I think Shazam is sort of the first film to really be a part of that recalibration.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, because Aquaman was in development for a long time. Um, and I know that Dwayne Johnson was given the option do you want to play Shazam or Black Adam? Uh, and he considered it for a bit and then decided to play uh, Black Adam. But he is credited as uh, an executive producer on this with yes, his partner, um, Hiram Garcia. Our, yeah, Hiram Garcia. So it's a movie that do, they do intend on making. Um, and now seeing Shazam, it makes so much sense because Dwayne Johnson's whole thing is audience first and making stuff that's like really enjoyable and entertainment and I'm like oh yeah I can I can see this I can see him uh, wanting to be like a baddie in a movie with this kind of tone yeah so
0: you know I think that's going to work out fine um, yeah. so where we are right now is that we've got three films one like one film is done or in post-production two films are in post-production and one film is currently shooting Yes. and uh the suicide squad is intending to shoot in september
1: yeah and uh the batman i think is supposed to shoot later this year too yeah <laughs>
0: that <laughs> one i'm a little Even like I, I, see it. I believe it when i once once i'm i'm very curious about how the casting is going to go down on that because yes. people lose their shit over batman every freaking time yes
1: every time um but yeah, first up is Joker, which is just a complete and total I mean, it's not already, even really part of
0: the DCEU.
1: No, and already like Wonder Woman started to kind of move away a little bit and that it really wasn't connected that much. Um Aquaman really took kind of a sharp turn away from that interconnected stuff to the point that they just pretend that Aquaman and Mera have never met before. Right. Even though they met in Justice League. Doesn't matter. <laughs> also, <laughs> in know. Justice
0: League, Aquaman hates his mother. But in, in in Aquaman, he loves his mother.
1: <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Um, and then we have Joker, which was apparently uh, the way it came about was Todd Phillips was just like, hey, what if I do like a one-off Joker movie, but it's like Taxi Driver? And Warner Brothers was like, sure, go ahead. <laughs> like, we don't have anything to lose. Um, which I think is kind of encapsulates where they're at right now. Like the clearly the Internet connected universe thing didn't work because when when batman v superman was in like post-production they announced this huge release strategy they were going to do a flash movie and an aquaman movie and a cyborg movie and justice league part one and justice league part two and snyder had all these plans for how it was all going to interconnect and everything and when justice league came out and no one saw it um that all went down the drain it made more money than justice league uh worldwide um
0: Black Panther made more money than Justice League in like 4 days. Right?
1: <laughs> yes. No one saw that movie. Um which I think, honestly, is kind of the best thing to ever happen to the DCU, because w- whether the Joker movie is good or not, uh, it's kind of beside the point at this point. I'm just kind of enthused that they made it, that they were like, hey, here's a character everyone knows. Here's a character who is already being played by another actor in our existing universe, but here's a director with a strong take who can get an actor like Joaquin Phoenix um, – and wants to do something really interesting and just like a one-off movie, no sequels, no franchise, whatever. Like, just wouldn't this be interesting? And Warner Brothers is like, sure, go for it, which I really like. I like that idea.
0: I like the idea of it. I like, <laughs> I like it in, in theory. Yeah. In execution, I, there's, I, there's some issues I have with it. In execution, I have seen war dogs. I actually like war dogs. I have nothing. It's, it's more that I've seen school for scoundrels. Um, but it's not, it's not even Todd Phillips the Todd Phillips of it all. That's kind of beside the point. Sure. The issue is more that it's, a kind of like Joker is where we are right now with the studio system, which is that if Todd Phillips is like, Hey, I want to make kind of a, ta- a film in the vein of taxi driver. And they're like, you can do that, but it has to be the Joker. <laughs> and I know that wasn't the I know that's not how it happened. I know that that he's yeah. like, I want to make the Joker and it's in the vein of Tag Driver. And like I said this on Twitter and some guy was like, hey, they made first reformed. And I'm like, First Reform cost a fraction of what the Joker's budget of what Joker's budget is. Like, no studio, yeah. the only way to fund a character driven you know, psychodrama, you know, dark film is like, oh, but it's a Batman villain. (laughs) And to me, that's a little sad. It's a little sad that they're like, we don't trust audiences enough to be like, here's an original, I uh, original story, not based on anything. It's just a character study. Wouldn't that be interesting? And, and now that's not good enough. Now it has to be like, don't you want to know the origin of the Joker? And I'm like, not really. I don't really. It's like, and I'm looking at the train. It's like, he got beat up a lot. And then he became like, he went a little crazy and now he's the Joker. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. I think, look, I think walking Venus is a great actor. I think the Joker is a tricky character. Um, that is very easy to screw up. And I honestly feel, and at the end of the day, when I look at, at 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 the trailer for Joker, and again, this is just solely based on the trailer. I'm not reviewing the film. I haven't seen the film yet. No one's seen the film yet. I, I'm I'm curious to see it, but my fear for Joker is that it's when I look at it, I see just nerds holding up signs that say "We demand to be taken seriously," <laughs> <laughs> and like with Logan, I can get on board with that because it's like the end and I've seen a bunch of different Wolverine movies and I'm like, okay, this is something different and something new. And the character has been established. And you know, I can see that you've kind of, you've earned it. This is the end yeah. of a journey that became, that began 17 years ago.
1: So well, and we've done so many different tones already. So it's like, yeah, why not? Let's make exactly. A why Western not? Drama.
0: Why not give it a shot? Like, I don't want to see X-Men origins again. So yeah. why not do that? But Joker is just like, it 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 reeks of like prestige in a way that feels needy. Yeah. Um and again, that's just marketing. I don't know the film, but I I'm trepidatious about it.
1: I get it. I mean, my my reaction to that trailer was that like aesthetically and performance-wise it looks intriguing, but uh also a big part of me was just like, yes, I too have seen Taxi Driver. Like <laughs> that movie exists already. <laughs> Just so clearly – I mean, I guess, again, judging from the trailer, uh, so clearly is just kind of taxi driver. Um, but who knows? But I, I still I, – I like the idea that Warner Brothers is not too tied down to canon and to – and this is – I mean – Warner, so Warner Brothers is looking for a way to differentiate the DCEU from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this is how you do it, is you say, we have the freedom to bring in a filmmaker like Todd Phillips, let him do a one-off movie and leave, uh, you know, and get someone like Joaquin Phoenix to come and do one movie and not have to worry about signing a six-picture contract. Whereas over at Marvel, it's like, well, you're going to have to make a movie, but it has to fit in with all the, with all the other movies, and you know, you're going to have your creative say, but we're also going to have our creative say – and casting is going to come down to whoever will agree to sign a six picture contract. Oh, for
0: sure. I mean, I definitely think, you know, we I mean, it makes I think Warner Brothers is offering something very enticing. I think in the in the macro, this is Warner Brothers is making a good move. In the micro, just talking about Joker, I have concerns. But yes. macro on on, you know, looking overall, <laughs> Warner's is offering a very enticing package. It makes total sense why like Ava DuVernay would be like I'll do the new gods. Yeah. You know, for you
1: guys as opposed yeah. to instead of doing a movie for Marvel i think yeah i think it's interesting i i think it's also interesting that birds of prey I, I think that's another movie that i'm really curious about um because it also seems like it could also maybe be something of a one-off um even though it's carrying it's so weird it's carrying over margot robbie's
0: first the, off first off you need to say the full title <laughs> no
1: i refuse say the full title I refuse. <laughs> I will never say the full title on this podcast. That I can promise. Okay. Um, but it, it is just a weird thing that they're like, oh, yeah, like Henry Cavill may be out at Superman and Ben Affleck's not playing Batman anymore. But, you know, Margot Robbie is still Harley Quinn. But then here's Joaquin Phoenix as Joker. <laughs> so.
0: Well, the thing about like with, with Margot Robbie is that Margot Robbie is wisely a stakeholder. In yeah. The, she's a producer. She mm-hmm. has a vest. Like, she's, she's like, this is my character. This is something I, I, I have a vested interest in protecting. And so she's going to write it
1: out. Um, so, well, and, and very much like Scarlett Johansson did with the Black Widow movie uh, Margot Robbie was like I'm producing this I'm choosing the director this is who I want right um, and that's the same thing that Scarlett Johansson reportedly did with the Black Widow movie that technically doesn't exist because uh, Marvel won't confirm anything yet um, but uh, that's also what Natalie Portman tried to do with Thor 2 as we uh, talked about in our uh, Marvel retrospective series um, plug quick plug there for our Collider podcast miniseries if you haven't listened to it um, but yeah, I'm, I'm and if very you're confused, curious.
0: you're listening to this podcast before that episode goes up. If you're <laughs> listening to them in order, that episode hasn't been posted yet, but we did talk about that. Spoiler
1: alert. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I like the idea that, uh, Margot Robbie was like, let's get this indie filmmaker, Kathy Yan to direct this female centric DC movie, which, you know, I have no idea what that looks like, but. It's got to be better than Suicide Squad, right?
0: Famous last words. Um, <laughs> I, I like the idea of Birds of Prey, which is, it seems to be, I mean, you've got a really good cast. Um, and I think by taking it low key, I mean, Ewan McGregor is is playing black, Math, black Mask, who's just, he's a gangster. Like, he's a gangster and he has a black mask that's, like, fused to his face. Like, it's, he's not, like, some super-powered guy. Um, but... I think it. I think it could be interesting. And Christina Hodson wrote it, and I liked what she wrote with uh, Bumblebee. So I'm willing to give it a shot. You know, yeah. it, it's filming right now. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see how it all comes together, uh, especially with honestly. I think when you, you know, quote unquote, emancipate Harley Quinn. Uh, Don't say it. I'm not gonna say it. But when you do, when you break her free from the Joker, you have a much stronger character. Because when she's with the Joker, that's an abusive relationship. And let's let's be blunt, superhero cinema is not equipped to deal with that right now. I think comic books are, like if you handle it over a long enough timeline, and maybe this movie will kind of, I don't know. Jared Leto's not in it, as far as we know.
1: Um, Jared Leto's off making a Sony superhero movie.
0: He's Morbius, folks. Don't you care about Morbius? Um, So, yeah, I think I think just letting Harley Quinn go off and do her own thing and be her own character, I think you're playing to the strengths of the few strengths of Suicide Squad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, interestingly enough, and this is kind of what Warner Brothers is doing now is this was just a project that was in development and they're developing a lot of different things. And then when a script comes in, they decide, you know, Suicide Squad 2 was something that they were trying to prioritize last year to try and get it on the schedule. But it never came together. Um, They couldn't get a director. I think Diame Colette Serra passed on it, and then Gavin O'Connor was on it for a while. Um, But the Birds of of Prey script came in. Margot Robbie was really enthused, and the studio was really happy with it, so that one just kind of vaulted ahead. So instead of sticking to this plan, this timeline that they announced, um, they decided, you know what? This movie is ready first. Let's just do this. Let's prioritize this.
0: Yeah, just prioritize good movies. Don't don't worry about like where does it fall on the timeline. Like that's a really that's a question that consumes like nerds, like who are really anal retentive. But honestly, it's it's really not that big of a concern.
1: Yeah. Whenever it's ready, it's ready. Yeah. Uh,
0: And then also in post production, you have Wonder Woman 1984, which I'm genuinely excited for.
1: Yes, same here.
0: Uh, Just because I mean, it's Patty Jenkins, uh, who I think now has even more freedom to make the movie she wants to make after the success of the first wonder woman. And I mean, I haven't seen anything. I I mean, they've shown some stuff at conventions for wonder woman, 1984, but I haven't seen anything from it. Uh, But I'm other than the stills they've released, but overall I'm, I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see the tone of it because Wonder Woman was very – I mean it was a bit of a departure. It was very standalone, but it was still had this very um, uh, kind of mythological tone to it, uh, kind of prestige tone to the film that the Zack Snyderverse had. And I'm curious if uh, since this movie set in the 80s, if they're going to have a little more fun with it or lighten it up um, or it's still going to be more of a quote-unquote serious movie uh, in the wake of kind of s- the silliness of Aquaman and Shazam.
0: Right. Yeah, I – I'd be surprised if it was sillier. Like, I think it'll still have humor, yeah. but I don't think that the, I and think there's
1: the, great humor in that first one.
0: Exactly. Like, I don't think the film will be humorless, but I also don't think like wonder woman's going to be like cutting jokes every two seconds. You know, like I think they've established who this character is. And I think they're going to, you know, I don't think it's going to be like all DC movies are now comedies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which uh, I know was a concern for some people when the first trailer for Shazam came up. Like, what are you doing? How dare you? How dare you? This is supposed to be serious. Zack Snyder promised us very serious business. Yeah. Like Uh, Jesse Eisenberg playing basketball and (laughs) eating candy and 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 feeding and feeding and and peeing in
0: jars and feeding people Jolly Ranchers. That is the serious cinema that I have
1: paid to see. (laughs) It's been a long time since I've uh, revisited that movie. Maybe I need to do it soon. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: And so then now you have also The Suicide Squad, which now James Gunn is at the helm. Uh, they're looking to film that in September, starting in September. And it looks like they're just gathering most of the cast members back. They've got Robbie back. They got Jai Courtney back. They got um, uh, Viola Davis back. They were going to cast Idris Elba in the Deadshot role because Will Smith had a scheduling conflict. But then they decided, let's, you know what, let's leave the door open for Will Smith to come back as Deadshot down the line. We'll just have Idris Elba play a different character, which is fine. Um but we don't. Do like, we know
1: who Idris Elba is playing? We do not.
0: We do not know who he's playing yet.
1: Okay, but interesting.
0: Um, yeah, I, I think it's.
1: I think it could be interesting. It's so weird. I mean, I'd, I'm I'm a fan of uh, James Gunn's work. I think Guardians of the Galaxy is amazing. I really like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, but it just struck me. And listen, I'm looking forward to his Suicide Squad, but it just struck me as kind of like, isn't that the same thing? Like, aren't you just doing the same thing, but at DC?
0: Yeah, it could be. It might just be like,
1: here's another band of outsiders, but without the cosmic stuff. Yeah. Like, it, I don't know. It just, it's very weird. It's not like he went to, like if he had gone to DC and made Shazam or something, that's one thing. But it's another, like, you know, it's a team of misfits going out and doing dirty work. Though maybe, I mean, and my guess, this is my guess, and I have absolutely no insider information on this. Um but I'm curious if what lured James Gunn to the Suicide Squad is if he could do it rated R. Might maybe.
0: maybe, maybe that that was that was part of the appeal. But we'll see.
1: Yeah, I mean that would certainly make it stand apart. Uh, and if Warner Brothers is trying things, you know, who knows? But I think that would be curious. Yeah.
0: Um. And then so down the line, supposed to you know, arguably we'll start filming this year. Is Matt Reeves the Batman? The Batman. So Ben Affleck is no longer comes out
1: Batman. in June 2021, folks.
0: Yes. So as you know, it hasn't. It, ben Affleck is no longer Batman. Matt Reeves is casting a newer Batman. It's rumored that he wants someone younger to play the role. Honestly, this is one of those films where like I'm going to need something for. Like it's great that it has a release date. That, but you know, so did you know? Can I tell you how many release dates the Flash has had? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like that doesn't really mean a we'll lot. Get that. That doesn't really mean a lot. Let's, you know, let, let's see some hard casting, like cast up your movie and then we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll believe it. Um, and maybe that'll happen. You know, I mean, honestly, you know, if, if Warner brothers, Warner brothers, a lot of people have bailed on comic-con, but Warner brothers always does it up in a big way. Um, that would be a big thing for them to announce, you know, their Batman at comic-con. Yeah, that'd be huge. If they could keep it under wraps, if until they could then... keep it under wraps until then. I mean, what I would do is like, I would hand like the trades, like, f- these are five names who are swirling around, and then like, but an- make the announcement at Comic
1: Con. Yeah. So we'll it's, see. It's interesting that Reeves has been attached to this for so long and was supposedly writing a script for Ben Affleck to star, but who knows if that was even happening. Right. Like, it's possible Affleck has been out for a long time and they were just waiting until the right time to announce it because, you know, stock and stuff like that. Right. But uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, Affleck was supposed to direct it himself. I mean, Reeves has said he wants to hone in on the the detective aspect of the character. But I feel like every director doing Batman has, like, teased that. Like I feel like Snyder said that for Batman to be Superman. I could be wrong.
0: They all they all say it because it sounds good. Like he's gonna get back to you know, go into the Bat computer and dusting for fingerprints and like <laughs> no one and detect it. Like and like that'd be neat. But like the only one that's ever done that is Batman the animated series and the Batman Arkham games. Outside yeah. of that, you're real and the comics, obviously. But like. The movies don't really Like the movies are like Hey do you want to see Batman being a beat cop (laughs) Like there's a little bit Of detective stuff In The Dark Knight But for the most part They just kind of They don't bother with it It's it's It feels like stuff That's well intentioned And then when they're cutting Like when they're like Fine tuning the script They're like yeah There's no time for For Batman to recreate The crime scene
1: (laughs) I want to see I just want to see A filmmaker really commit To the film noir Of it all I want the movie to open with Batman driving the Batmobile through the rain as voiceover is going on and talking about how he's feeling talking about needing a stiff drink or it opens with Batman in full bat costume lying face down in a pool honestly what you're dead.
0: just the film the closest on weirdly enough, the film that you're closest to describing is Lego Batman <laughs> yeah. black all important movies open in black. <laughs>
1: It's kind of true. Um, yeah, but just like, I would love it if Matt Reeves just went full film noir with it. Uh, hell, just shoot it in black and white. I don't care. Yeah, Screw yeah, the, the big fla- splashy set pieces or whatever. Right. Just do a straight up film noir. We haven't seen that. No, I
0: mean, it'd be nice, but they're not like Batman. They're going to treat with, they're going to, there'll be some concessions, but they're not going to, no one's going to go wild with Batman. It's too much of a crown jewel. To, yeah
1: to mess with yeah i can't believe they let them put the put him in a suicide squad
0: yeah that was fun
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh all
0: right so there's a bunch of upcoming of dc movies on the slate i don't know which ones you want to talk about and which like <laughs>
1: I, I, don't I don't know if we really need to
0: about... dig into what's up with Justice League Dark.
1: No, because who knows if that ever, that's ever happening. I did want to talk about The Flash, though.
0: Yeah, let's talk about The Flash.
1: Because this is, I mean, you are going to be able to make a feature-length documentary about the development history of this movie if it ever gets made. Because, like, it originated back in April 2015 when Phil Lord and Chris Miller... Were hired to write a story treatment, and Warner Brothers really wanted them to the direct, to take the helm of it. Um, And I don't know if they ever finished that treatment. They shortly after uh, left to go make Solo, Um, but then it's gone through. Seth Graham Graham Smith was the director, which was so,
0: which was first off was just a dumb idea from the get-go. Like again, Warner Brothers way too loyal. Like Seth Graham Smith had kind of been in the fold already, but the idea to hand like a superhero tentpole to a guy who had never directed a movie before. Um, it's, it happens. I mean, Simon Kinberg is direct directed Dark Phoenix, but at least there you can make the argument like, Oh, he's been a producer with the film, you know, since 2000 with X-Men movies since
1: 2005 or whatever, you know, you can make it. And let's be honest, given Brian Singer, it's, probably likely that kenberg has directed some x-men movies at this and point. given the fan given
0: fantastic four he's likely directed like i'm not saying yeah. like he's not completely inexperienced seth graham smith was completely inexperienced at directing feature films and then he was fired
1: um, yes a month after batman v superman came out warner brothers was like uh maybe not yeah and then they hired rick famuyua uh who directed dope as his replacement and he actually put he did did some casting he cast uh kirstie clemens as iris and billy crut up as uh flash's father and then he got fired <laughs> and then he got fired um so, and that's... he very publicly went public with like it was creative differences and i'm not happy about it
0: yeah so you know and he's fine he's directing episodes of the mandalorian so it, yeah you know, he's fine but and then so there was like who's gonna direct who's gonna direct and then basically i feel like um uh, Daly and Goldstein, they basically, they make, they come out with Game Night, which is like, hey, this is funny, but also look how good this movie looks. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like Game Night was in a way their calling card for a movie like The Flash.
1: Yeah. No, I I, I think, again, Warner Brothers loyal to filmmakers. Um, I think that's exactly what happened. And I love Game Night. I I And I think that's a good hire uh, to bring them on after Game Night. Um, but the
0: film is still kind of a mess so here's
1: so here's a funny little uh little thing is that when rick framu left it was in august 2016 and the movie was supposed to start shooting in early 2017 and since he left the filming date got pushed back which uh meant miller needed to go shoot fantastic beast 2 so then the movie essentially had to wait an entire other year and so then they were like all right finally getting ready to go and then (laughs) now um Ezra Miller has to shoot Fantastic Beasts three this winter, so they can't start filming until next year on the Flash, unless by some miracle, um, whatever the hell is happening right now. Unless they can uh, squeeze out fixed. a
0: Flash film by May, yeah, <laughs> for like six months of filming or whatever. Like, you know, it's it's not going like it's not it's gonna happen. It's not gonna take until 2020 to even get the film in front of cameras. Meanwhile. There's debate over what even the tone of the film should be, and apparently Ezra Miller, if I recall correctly, thinks it should be on the darker side. Yes. And to prove it to Warner Brothers, he is going to write a script with the help of acclaimed comics writer Grant Morrison. Yes. It is the weirdest fucking thing
1: where apparently Miller has been butting heads with Goldstein and Daly um, in a professional way. Yeah.
0: And by the way, look, I'm an Ezra Miller fan. I think the guy is as genuine as it gets. He, he really does care about the work that he does. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's ego. I think he, he's very passionate about this. And also let's be honest. Flash is one of the few bright spots of justice league.
1: Yes, no, absolutely. um, And so, uh, you know, he's reportedly been clashing kind of with the tone of the script. Daley and Goldstein want it to be lighter, more fun. Uh, And I guess in order to prove his point, Warner Warner Brothers has allowed him and actually hired him. They're paying him and Grant Morrison to write a new draft of the script to show what that take would look like. Um, But that report out of Hollywood Reporter says that his future of the role could be on the line, meaning that if he writes this darker take and Warner Brothers is still like, nah, not good – um, they may just recast the role, hmm. which which <laughs> the the poster for Justice League is turning into Avengers: Infinity War at this point. Right, everyone's I be, and I dusting away. I'd
0: be a little bummed by that because again, I liked his take on the Flash. It's also kind of cool to have an openly gay actor playing a major superhero. Yeah, that's or just openly
1: a, queer. I think he uh, identifies as queer. Yeah,
0: queer. That's still a big deal. Yes, that's still a that's still a big deal. <laughs> so, yes. um. I would I would be a little bummed if if you know he lost the role, but we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, agreed. So maybe the Flash movie will happen. It's it's odd that you know Warner Brothers doesn't seem too concerned with getting it off the ground like ASAP. Um, but uh, I mean, I guess there's that TV show. But yeah, maybe yeah. it'll happen. Who knows? Who knows?
0: And then there's just like there's a bunch of other stuff like The Trench, which is like an Aquaman spinoff but with horror. And I'm just like, okay, (laughs) sure.
1: A Joker Harley Quinn movie.
0: Yeah. Aquaman 2 is going to happen. I mean, that film was a huge hit, a much bigger hit than I ever expected it to be. Um, And then there's stuff like Green Lantern Corps, which has been in development forever. Um, New Gods at least has Ava DuVernay directing, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. Um, But again, who knows? I I mean, right now all of her time is, is doing Central Park five um yeah she's in post on that she's in post on that so we'll see what you know where does you know and then steven spielberg is possibly going to direct black hawk like it's it's so fucking weird it's so it's so it's i mean it's in a weird way it's good like again as you pointed out like there's a lot of freedom there for these directors but on the other hand it's not like this is phase four you know like this is what it is oh okay there's no the, there's no plan. And again, plans are, I think, kind of overrated. I think fans kind of use them as a security blanket and be like, well, if there's a plan, things will turn out well. And I'm like, that hasn't proven true. <laughs> and also, sometimes there is no plan and things turn also turn out well. Like, you know, can, may, can I tell you about the nightmarish production that was Mad Max Fury Road? <laughs> yes. The co stars hate each other. The co stars hate each other. The set flooded and they had to move to an entirely new continent. Like <laughs> yes. you know, the this notion that people are like, oh, as long as everything runs smoothly, you'll have a great film. Like it just history doesn't bear that out.
1: No. So. And I think the, the the number of projects we know that are in development at DC is just kind of a window into how Hollywood actually works. Like, I think the Nightwing movie is a good example. I mean, it was announced back in 2017 that Chris McKay, who directed Lego Batman, uh, was signing on to direct a Nightwing movie. And ever since then, he's been like bludgeoned on Twitter, like, when's a Nightwing movie? Like, what's going on with Nightwing? And it's just in development. Like, he's since signed on to direct other movies. And that's just kind of how it goes. Like, he's, been developing a script um they may or may not have a finished script but until warner brothers is ready to make that movie they're not going to make that movie so that's kind of the case with a lot of these other things like justice league dark which uh you know had Guillermo del toro and then maybe doug lyman um and then that went away you know birds of prey was something they were kind of considering at one point point. Yeah, and
0: also scripts in comparison to the rest of the production are relatively cheap Like you still get paid as a screenwriter on a blockbuster film, but it's a lot more expensive to then dump $200 million into making it and hoping it's a hit. Yes. So why, why, why throw caution to the wind, especially when your previous plan of being like, again, for the people who are like, you got to have a plan. There was a plan and the plan (laughs) sucked and it backfired horribly. So like there was a plan.
1: It just doesn't
0: mean that that, that doesn't mean anything.
1: That plan died with Batman v Superman. That is the last we'll, we saw of like a kind of an unedited version of and that. And
0: even plan. that was kind of edited. There's the ultimate edition.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Where like Zack Snyder's see- like, wouldn't it be fun to shoot Jimmy Olsen in that? Head?
1: <laughs> Here's a fun little Easter egg, kids. That reporter who gets savagely murdered by terrorists. That's Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> You're Superman's pal. <laughs> yeah, remember Oh,
0: man. Man, I just – I always want Zack Snyder. I'm so excited for every Zack Snyder interview for the foreseeable future, <laughs> like his recent one where it's like Batman and does tax evasion. Like what
1: the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> if you don't believe your superheroes aren't embezzling money somewhere, you're living in a fucking dream. You're living in a fucking dream. <laughs> Which you? I kind of admire. I, I really mean... admire his boldness and and just honesty and candor. I mean go for it. Like, I goodness. guess. I mean,
0: I admire it in the same way that, like, yeah, this 14-year-old is going to tell you that the founding fathers <laughs> owned slaves. Like, yeah, we know. <laughs>
1: Man, this Man you're not ready for, you're not ready for these fucking truth bombs. <laughs> oh, God. I will say, in, in the whole of all this DC stuff, while I, I'm ultimately pretty optimistic about, uh, you know, what's going on over there – um I do think they completely bungled Superman, and they had a really good Superman in Henry Cavill, and I don't know if he's still in the role or not or what's going on there, but I think the biggest mistake they made, honestly, was not following Man of Steel with a Superman sequel.
0: Yeah, and again, they check it out, and again, Kevin Tsujihara, who was fired not for being bad at his job, which he most clearly was, yes. <laughs> but because he fucking fucked around with an actress in text messages that then leaked to the press. Uh, Yeah. What a fucking scumbag and also shitty at his job.
1: (sighs) Yeah, he was a, yeah, he was the one who was, uh, I mean, they made that,
0: I mean, they chickened out like he, he, like basically man of steel performed well, but not as well as they hoped. So they're like, fuck, we got to throw Batman in here now.
1: Yeah. And even then, Batman v Superman only made like eight hundred something million, which I know is a lot of money. But Batman and Superman are the two most iconic superheroes in history. Like the fact that they were on screen together for the first time in a live action movie should have been like a two billion dollar movie.
0: It should have been at least a billion. Yeah, Captain Marvel made over a billion worldwide. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Captain Marvel not the most not as popular as Batman or Superman. But <laughs> But still made more money. Still made more money. So anyway, uh, yeah, I just, I don't really have, I mean, the DC universe is very weird. I'm very excited to talk Joker with you when that comes out. (laughs) That'll be fun. I need to rewatch Taxi Driver and King of Comedy.
1: We'll have to bring uh, Vinny Mancuso on so we can compare it to the Joker on Gotham.
0: Gotham. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, we'll definitely do that. Or
1: Collider's resident Gotham expert, Vinny Mancuso. (laughs)
0: Actually, I honestly we should just do a podcast where it's like we invite Vinny on and they're like Vinny, just you've seen every episode of Gotham. Explain Gotham. And then <laughs> yeah. he could probably go on for like an hour or two, like, okay, so then this thing happens. Explain
1: balloon man. Explain balloon man. Well, he kills his victims by tying <laughs> balloons to their hands. It's a real thing. We're not making that up. That's and they float thing. into the sky until they die
0: gotham <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man best show that none of us are watching except for me. Yeah.
1: i made uh, it like five episodes and i was like okay, okay. I'm out.
0: so uh anything else to say about dc movies or do you want to move on to recently watched i think we've
1: said a lot and we'll have more to say when joker comes around in october yeah all right so what have you seen lately that you want to talk about Uh, So I haven't seen a ton, but I have been watching the second season of of Barry, uh, which has not missed a step and which is just as delightful and hilarious and dramatic and emotional as season one. Um, I think Bill Hader's terrific in it. Uh, Some have said the show's kind of more of a drama now, but I, I think it's just it's it's the tone that the show settled into in season one, which is kind of a mix between a drama and a comedy. It's not not really something you can nail down. Like it's bitingly funny at times, but it's dealing with really dark themes. Like, am I a bad person or am I actually evil? And what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to do evil? Um, but then there are also really great jokes in it. So, uh, I'm a big fan of the filmmaking on the show here. Mariah directed the first two episodes, this season haters directing two others. Um, if you read Collider regularly, you know, I've got an exclusive interview series with hater. Um, I, I, Basically, I'm talking to him about every single episode this season. And every Sunday night after the episode airs, you'll get to read my interview with Hader about that episode, where we go into kind of spoilers of uh, kind of story points. But um, but I also like to talk about kind of the filmmaking. And so this past week, uh, we talked about Hiro Murai and what it's like working with him as a director. Um, But on the whole, I I mean, I've seen the first four episodes of season two, and they're all really great. And episode four ends on a really terrific cliffhanger. Um, So... I, I'm really enjoying it. I was a little worried that it might hit kind of a sophomore slump because it's a premise that's, that's really tough to tightrope walk, but uh, it hasn't missed a step.
0: Yeah. I've only seen the, the series, the season premiere. I'm an episode behind, but yeah. to me that the, the show hasn't missed a beat and it really is. It really is a fascinating show about like, you know, the cost of pursuing your, your dream, <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when, if, 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 if it's all about like my dream is the most important thing, how far would you go for it? And it's paints that in the darkest terms possible.
1: Yes. Yes. Very much so.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, for me, the film I want to put on people's radar, it hasn't come out yet. It opens April 19th. It's called fast color. Uh, now this film played at South by Southwest last year. And that's how I first heard about it. Cause people were raving about it. Cause they're like, if, If you ever wanted to make a storm movie of the X-Men, like really serious, like that's, it would look like fast color. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of an accurate description. Um, the, the plot is, is it takes place in a very vividly painted, not too distant future where water is rare. (laughs) It hasn't rained in eight years. Um, but that's the backdrop against this sort of generational saga where these three women, uh, played by Gugu Mbatha-Raw, Lorraine Toussaint, and uh, Sanaya Sidney, have this special ability basically to break down matter and reconstruct it. And so it has superpowers in it, but it's really about how people are broken and the way we break our relationships with those closest to us and if those can be mended. And it's just, it's really powerful. The score is fantastic. It's uh, the director... Uh, Julia Hart did an amazing job with it. Uh, I was just really taken with the movie. And when I was watching it, I'm like, you know, it's funny. You have all these fanboys who are like, I want a serious superhero movie. And I'm like, Fast Color is a serious superpower. You know, they're not superheroes like that, you know, but they have superpowers and It's a serious film, but they're like, yeah, but is it based on a comic book? And it's like, well, no, but not interested. (laughs) Like, I feel like there's so many people that would actually really like Fast Color if they just gave it a chance, but because it's you know it doesn't have like big name stars and it's not based off IP, people are going to just kind of not give it a chance. And I think that's real. That really bums me out. Like, I get why Warner Brothers is making the making Joker and the way that they're making it. That's sort of, to me, a reflection, not just on studios, but on the audience. Because if there's an audience that says, I want this thing, and someone says, okay, here it is, but the packaging on the box is a little different than you might be used to, and the audience rejects it, I think that's a little on the audience. I think audiences, I get it that movies are expensive, but I think at the same time, you have to take chances on things. You have to kind of vote with your dollar Otherwise, studios are going to be like, people only want to see things based on familiar material. And that's how you get endless reboots and adaptations and so on and so forth. Like, they're, they're not making this decision out of nowhere. They make it because of what you, as a viewer, decide to do. So I would say support films like Fast Color. Give it a shot. And, uh, nice. And if, and if you don't like it, yell at me on Twitter.
1: I'll listen. <laughs> when, does, uh, when does that come out? And it comes out okay. April 19th from Lionsgate. Is it like a limited release, or are they doing a wide release? No, I think
0: it's a real release. Let me check Box Office Mojo. It's through mm-hmm. their new... Uh, so Lionsgate has this new imprint called Code Black Films, which I think is meant to highlight African-American uh, actors and storytellers. Uh, oh, okay. Um, but, uh, let's see. Fast Color, it doesn't say, honestly. It doesn't say. The only film that's slated wide for that weekend is Curse of La Yorona, which I hear is quite poor. So... <laughs> Go, go, see, go see Fast Color if it's playing near you.
1: Nice. Good recommendation.
0: Thank you. All right. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, with everyone. We'll be back with you next time.